If I had only known the last time would be the last time I would have put off all the things I had to do I would have stayed a little longer Held on a little tighter Now what I'd give for one more day There's a wound here in my heart where something's missing. And they tell me that it's gonna heal with time. But I know you're in a place where all your wounds have been erased. And knowing yours are healed is healing mine. The only scars. Yeah. 
blessing. Amen. Let's take our Bibles and turn to the book of Galatians. Galatians chapter 1. I didn't mention it a moment ago, but I do want to welcome uh, Brother Larry and Miss Jennifer back. All right. uh, yes, sir. We're glad to have you back. And uh, They've been down uh, in Florida uh, for about a month, and so we are thankful to have them back with us. And, uh, yeah, just Somebody had to do it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they're part of our family. We miss them when they're not here. So, uh, Galatians chapter 1. Last week we, we spoke about the call of God. And we defined it as an open call. And we, we noted that the, the answer to the personalization of that call is found in the inclination of the heart. We define that as if, if your heart is inclined to hear, God is calling you. We, we went on through that passage and we talked about the investment that must be made. And, and you'll remember the passage is, if any man follows me, let him deny himself. We talked about that removal of self from the throne and that, that investment that must be made. And then and we spoke about the indication that furthermore you take up your cross. And the indication is that there is a, a requirement of sacrifice in order to answer the call of God. And you take up that cross. And then he said, and, and follow me. And we talked about the imitation, how we are to imitate Christ. We ought to readily serve others. And, and that would be a great imitation of Christ. And we noted that in that open call, the first and foremost was a call to salvation. That was to repent and believe the gospel. This week I want to I look at another term or another aspect of Christian ease, if you will. And I want to talk to you about the will of God. Some questions that we might ponder concerning the will of God is, what is the will of God? Is the will of God multifaceted or is it singular? Is the will of God corporately discerned or is it independently discerned? And we can't go deeply into all of those subjects, but we're going to define some of them and detail some of them. And I believe this passage that gives us a great place from which to do that. We're looking here at the letter to the Galatians written by the Apostle Paul. The first two verses are 
a salutation, but in verses 3, 4, and 5, there's a bit of an introduction. And I want us to look at that little piece right there, 3 through 5. So if you'll stand with me in reverence, the reading of God's Word. Beginning in Galatians chapter 1, verse 3, grace be to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil world, according to the will of God and our Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I want to share some time with you this morning discussing this concept of the will of God. I wonder if you would now, as we prepare and we go to the Lord in prayer, would you pray specifically that God would give you a revelation you've not had before, an illumination to understand, a desire to understand. And then in the provision of that, would you ask that God would help you walk in accordance with it as you leave today? I think that that prayer would be profitable. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we come to you again. The Lord, just thanking you for another opportunity to share. And God, we've enjoyed such a wonderful, softening worship time with the music. And Father, we come now to this worship in word as we find ourselves gathered together around the feet of Christ, as it were, to be instructed, here uh, addressing the Word, hoping that the Word will address us. God, I'm grateful for all that you are doing in our presence, and Lord, we are mindful of the, the presence of your blessed Holy Spirit. And God, I pray that he would have liberty to move among us, to change us, to challenge us. Lord, I pray that we would be both compliant and obedient to the word of God this morning, and that it would be evident in our walk as we leave. Father, it's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. You can be seated. As to the question, what is the will of God? Or or someone might even phrase it, what do you mean by, what do you mean when you say the will of God? By this, we mean, what is the desire of God? What, what is the desire of God in your life? What is the desire of God in this congregation? What is the desire of God in this community? What is the desire of God in this cosmos? Or, or as the Apostle Paul would define it here, in this present evil age, what is the desire of God? And truthfully, this can be answered corporately, Or it can be a question asked and answered individually. We we might would understand the phraseology better if we were to say, 
what is the plan and purpose of God in the ages? It's a very theologically uh, definitive statement we've, or question. We hear that question asked a lot in the studies. What is the plan and purpose of God in the ages? Or, or maybe we would say, what is the di- desire of God for humanity and for the world in which we live? That's, that's a phrase that we can wrap our mind around. Or lastly, we might, we might ask on a more personal level, what is God's will for my life? Or what is God's will in my life? And I don't believe that we can fully detail uh, this morning each of these questions and answer, but I, I want to share some with you. I, I want to share first, and, and listen, if you typically check out Shame on you, but if you typically check out, uh, listen to this statement. And if you leave knowing nothing but this today, you'll be better for it. This is an encompassing truth. It is God's will for you to be redeemed from sin's penalty. It is God's will for you to be repentant of sin's pleasures. It is God's will for you to be released from sin's power, and in eternity it is God's will for you to be removed from sin's presence. That's an encompassing truth. It, it, indeed, if you, would, if you would just gnaw on that statement a little bit, it would begin to flourish in your life. It's God's will for me to be born again. It's God's will for me to walk in accordance with my belief. It is God's will for me to be repentant daily of sin. And it's God's will to carry me to glory one day where I'll be absent from the presence of sin. That's God's will. The Apostle Paul would say in Romans chapter 6, 23, that the penalty of sin is death. But he, but he, he, he punches back and he says, but the gift of God is eternal life. In, in the words of the Apostle Peter in Acts, in the book of Acts, he would say, because of that we should repent and be converted. Again, the Apostle Peter would say in 2 Peter 3, 9, that the Lord is not slack concerning His promise as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Hear that again. The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some men count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. We can unequivocally say this morning, it is God's will for you to be saved. And we we know this, Peter would say, Because God has prolonged this world. We are in triple overtime. God is stretching the game. Hoping and praying and waiting patiently for you to come to repentance. He's not willing that any should perish. It it tells us that God's not wishing hell upon anyone. In fact, God's word would define for us that hell was not created for you and I. It was created for Satan and those fallen, and it has enlarged itself and does so daily because of the disobedience of men. It's God's will. 
that you be saved. Peter would go on to say in that passage, but, he's patient, but, he's long-suffering, but, he's not willing that any would perish, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. That means that you cannot program it. It's going to come when you least expect it. Don't sleep on the Lord. Don't sleep on the promises of God. Don't sleep on the offer of invitation. If you've not ever been saved, do that today. As to the question of, is the will of God multifaceted? Uh, Is the will of God complex? Is it intricate? Well, of course it is. For the believer, for the born-again believer, the will of God might be that that you uh, attend this church. Uh, it, it may be that, that you sing in this choir. It may be that you, uh, you give a special offering. It may be that you surrender to preach. It may be that you become a leader in the church. The will of God is intricate. The will of God is complex. But this is what we know from a, a good study of the Bible. The will of God is complex. The will of God is intricate. But it centers upon redemption from sin unto salvation and a continual repentance of sin for sanctification in the life of the believer. That's the linchpin. That's the center of God's will, that you be born again and that you live continually repentant towards God, seeking the sanctification that comes. As to the question of, Is the will of God corporately or individually discerned? Well, I believe it's both. I think that uh, we would agree on that. I think it's logical to understand that it's both. Here here in this letter, we are reading an actual epistle, a letter, uh, a note written to a group of believers in a particular place, a body of believers that's corporate. But in the words and the writing, he was speaking to the individual believers in the church. That's individual. So when you and I look at this, we can say, okay, I understand the corporate, but am I right in the individual? I can make an individual application to myself. Either way, the application is profitable. I want you to look again there at verse 3. And notice the first few words, grace be to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Can I tell you this morning that it is the will of God that you know the grace of God. It is God's will that you know the grace of God. It's God's will that you... Realize the grace of God in your life. Somebody may ask, I would not be shocked, what is the grace of God? Define for me the grace of God. I could very simply say this, it is the unmerited favor of God. What what has taken place over many years in the church, and I'm confident that you have experienced this following, this acrostic as I have, grace, oh that's God's riches at Christ's expense. Anybody ever seen that poster? Grace, God's riches at Christ's expense. And look, I don't have a problem 
with the acrostic, but the difficulty is it only seeks to characterize the actual value or the cost of the grace. It does nothing to explain the undeserved aspect of it. Oh, grace. Grace to you, man. Grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. Grace to you, man. Oh, I must deserve that. No, I don't deserve it. That's the, that's the understanding. That's the definition of grace. It's undeserved. It's unmerited. If, if we were to step back and say, okay, explain to me the undeserved aspect of it. Of course, this is just scripture that I'm giving you here. But, but Paul would say in Romans chapter 8 that God has shown his love towards us. Romans chapter 5, excuse me. That God has shown his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So what, is the, what does the extrapolation of that concept look like? What does it look like that while I was yet a sinner, Christ showed his love towards me? Well, this is what it looks like. We were involved in a revolt an actual war against the supremacy and the sovereignty of God. We were openly defying His rule and His reign in and with our lives. We were actively participating in Satan's coup while we were yet sinners. If you wanted that painted in a more stark picture if you would have been there, you would have driven the nails in yourself. If you would have been there, you would have wagged your finger at him. You would have shook your head at him. You would have spat on him. You would have plucked his beard. You would have saved, said he saved himself, let him save, or he saved others, let him save himself. You would have done all of those things. You were actively participating. And while we were hating and spitting and cursing and smiting the very God of heaven, that same God, the creator of heaven and earth and everything therein, stepped down from his throne and he stepped down out of the portals of heaven in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ and he carried our sins to Calvary and he nailed our trespasses to his cross. He paid our sin debt while we were yet sinners. That's grace. It was a move of grace. Wherein we receive something we do not deserve. It was unmerited. It was undeserved. And listen, hear this very well. It was unavailable to us by any other means. There's no other way in which you can come by it. Can I tell you something? It's very sad. It breaks my heart to even say it. There are some in here today. Inevitably, there are some in here today. Still hating, spitting, cursing, and smiting the very God of glory. But it doesn't change the fact that his, grill is, his will is that you would know the grace of God in your life. He, he has this desire. It is his will that you know the grace of God. Look at verse 4. Who gave himself for our sins. Do you see that? So simple. It, not only is it His will that you know the grace of God, is His will that you receive the gift of God. 
That, that you would have it. He did that for you. That he, he gave it to you. The grace of God is not the gift. Rather, the grace of God brings us the gift. And Paul would say again in Ephesians chapter 2, that salvation, or for by grace are you saved through faith, it is a gift of God. The salvation is the gift, but it is supplied by grace, and it is realized or received by faith. But sometimes right there we would say it's accepted by faith. There, there are people that struggle with the idea of me accepting it, as if my acceptance of it made it real. I want you to understand, it's okay if you say accepted, as long as you understand that whether you accept it or not, it's true. Whether you accept Him as Lord and Savior or not, He is the Lord. Whether, whether or not you uh, see Him as Creator or not, He is the Creator. In fact, He is your Creator and He will be your judge. Accept it or not. So, it's absolutely God's will that you realize that you receive, that you accept the free gift of salvation that is proffered unto you by the grace of God. Indeed, we could say, and we have, and the scriptures do, he died so that men might be saved. He died so that whosoever believed in him would have eternal life. He died as you, for you, in your place, so that you might be saved from the penalty of sin. What a wasteful shame. What an absolute wasteful shame it would be to live your entire life in rebellion against God only to realize in eternity that it was He who created you, He who came to look for you, and He who was crucified for you as you in your place. The Bible tells us that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That action performed today. That action motivated by an inclined heart and exercised in faith based upon the grace of God. That action today brings you salvation and eternal life. It is the will of God, that you receive the gift of God. He's not willing that any should perish. So it's the will of God that you know the grace of God. That grace brings you to the gift. It's the will of God that you receive the gift of God. Look at the next phrase in verse 4. That He might deliver us from this present evil world. You see that? That He might deliver us from this present evil world. It's, it's the will of God that you receive the, great, the gift of God, but it is also the will of God that you experience the guarantee of God. Now, I want you to hear me very, very clearly right here because people hear this wrong and entire churches are built on a wrong foundation. Salvation from the penalty of sin is a gift of God, but it is not the guarantee of God. Salvation is not a guarantee of God. Everybody will not be saved. Everyone will not recognize the grace of God and receive the gift of God. There are some people who will die and go to hell. There are some people who will do everything else in life right. 
Except receive the free gift of God and they will die and go to hell. They will be good people in hell. Salvation is not a guarantee. We are not all God's children. We're all God's creation. All of God's children are those who were born again. Salvation is not the guarantee. Salvation is reserved for those who hear the call of God and by the grace of God through faith believe in the finished work of God. Salvation is not the guarantee. It's reserved for whosoever believes. But there is a guarantee. It's right here. It says it right here. The, the grace of God brings us to the place that He gave Himself for our sins. Why? What is the guarantee? That He might deliver us from this present evil world. It's a guarantee. Every person who places their faith and trust in the finished work of the cross will be delivered from this evil generation. It is a guarantee. The guarantee of God is that He'll deliver us. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that something to shout about? That I know when I place my faith and trust in Him, it's finished. I'm, I'm delivered. I stated earlier this morning, and, and I believe it is a factual statement, several people, many people, treat salvation like it's a savings account or a 401k or a retirement program. And they invest in it, and they, they work into it, and they do things so that when the day of death comes, they will enjoy the eternal blessings of God. You're missing all of the in-between. God wants to bring that eternity to you right now. He wants to deliver you from this present evil world. That doesn't mean He's going to take you out of here. But Christ literally said, don't take them out, but protect them while they're there. That's what He's offering. The guarantee of God is that we are delivered from this present evil generation. Well, what does that look like? What does it mean to be delivered from this present evil generation? Well, it means that he will not only wash away the sins of the past, but he will rescue us from the present sinful world we live in. He will deliver us from the power of sin. He'll rescue us from this present evil world. I see born-again folk all the time that are living in bondage to some kind of sin. And they feel powerless. They think they're helpless. At some level, there's probably some hopelessness associated with it. But God, the Bible says He'll deliver you from this present evil world. You, you don't have to be in bondage, you are not bound by the power of sin in your life. If you are born again, he guarantees that he'll deliver you from this present evil age. The same grace that introduced you to the gift, that gift gives you the guarantee. It's the same grace. We, we are not captured by the flesh. We are not enslaved by the flesh. We're not enslaved by the world system in which we live. God has delivered the born-again believer from this present evil age. So often, this turns into a discussion of pharisaicalism or hypocrisy. We see a homeless, 
drug addict. You ever have a conversation with one of them? I have. Can I tell you what they're going to say, about 95% of them? I'm saved. I'm saved. You're saved? And you're living the lifestyle of a homeless drug addict? Something's wrong. One of two things. Either you're not saved or somebody failed to tell you that with the gift of God comes the guarantee of God you've been delivered from this. You're not captive to this. You are if you choose to be. And it turns into a debate of, are you just a Pharisee? You think that you, the people can live a perfect life. No, absolutely, I do not think you can live a perfect life. But I do think you can live a life delivered from this present evil world. Because the Bible says I can. Amen. And, it, and it, it's the, the idea that we, we, we divorce ourselves from that power. We're so grateful when we find out there's a place called hell. And we describe what it is. And then we're said, hey, this is how you stay out of that place. Or we grab that life like a life jacket. And we tuck it away so we can pull it out. When indeed that day comes. But the salvation of God is meant to work in your life from the moment that you believe until the moment that you ascend into His presence. You have been delivered from this present evil world. You can be in it, but not of it. If you're a born again believer. It's the guarantee of God. Wouldn't you... Wouldn't you love to be freed from the power of sin in your life? Well, if you're born again, you have been. If you have not been freed from it, ask the Lord. Lord, why have I not been freed from this? There may be a different answer. Wouldn't you... Love to experience life out from under the possession of sin that is evident in your life? It's the guarantee of God. It's right there. It's right there. He will deliver us from this present evil world. We're not in bondage to this world. We're not in bondage to sin. God has delivered us from that if we're born again. I want to tell you this morning, th those are the, the central portion of the will of God is that you would know the grace of God, that you would receive the gift of God, that you would comprehend, realize, uh, uh, attain the, the guarantee of God. And the, Paul goes on to say there, according to the will of God. So I would say to you, that's the goal for God, for you in God, uh, in God's eyes. God wants that for you. That's His will for you. If you are living in abject sin and claiming that you are powerless to escape, you are right and wrong both at the same time. In and of your own ability, you are powerless to escape. But in the ability provided by the free gift of salvation, you have been guaranteed extrication from that bondage. Delivered from this evil present world. That is the goal of God. That is His will. Paul includes verse 5 in this little pericope here, and this is why I believe that. 
I believe he did so because all of these things work out themselves unto the glory of God. I want to share this with you here for a moment. I, I hope you'll catch this too. It may be semantics, but it's important semantics. When a, when a, a sinner hears the gospel, their heart is inclined to believe and they repent of their sin of unbelief and receive Christ as their Savior and they are born again, glory is revealed. The glory of God is revealed. He does not receive glory because they did that. He already possesses the glory. His glory is revealed unto them and to everyone else watching. And the more often that happens, the more glory of God can show. And the more often you and your lives submit and surrender to the will of God, the more glory is shown. You're not giving Him glory. You're just seeing it because it's being revealed in the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. Yes, sir. And that's what Paul says here. Uh, to the glory of God forever and ever. Amen. So be it. What's the will of God? The will of God is that you be born again. That you receive the free gift of God. That you inherit and ex experience the guarantee of God in your life. That's his goal. And it brings glory unto him. And for the, the Pharisees that are in the room, you say, well, man, that's a pretty good preacher. That's kind of the way I would have said it, too. But it wasn't for me. I am saved. Well, the same glory of God that brought the gift of God to you, that gives you the opportunity to experience the guarantee of God, is the very same faith-based grace of God that's going to help you walk a right Christian life. So it was for you. You ought to preach this message to yourself every single day. I have been shown the grace of God. I have received the gift of God. I have experienced the guarantee of God. And I'm going to express the glory of God with every step I make. You ought to preach it to yourself every morning. Would you stand with me? What is God's will for you today? What, what if... Someone said to you, what is the grace of God? Could you recognize it in your own life? Have you accepted that free gift? Free gift of salvation. Are you walking in and experiencing the guarantee of God? What a wonderful promise. Are you living your life as unto the glory of God? The altar's open this morning. I pray you'd make a move. Come ask God to show you these things in your walk, in your life. Father, I pray you'd bless this time of invitation. It's in Jesus' name.
Thank you so much for your attendance today and for your attention. As always, I ask you to meditate on these truths. Hope to see you back this evening. Brother Larry, it's good to have you back. Would you close us in prayer?